Yes, I'm in the studio. You get music with the podcast today. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. I was sitting here thinking another podcast without music, and then I thought I had somebody suggest uh, by emailing to bruce at 989theanswer.com. Uh, why don't you try NFL Films music? And I thought, well, I can do that. I can do that right off the machine here in the office. So why not treat the listeners to the We Tackle Life podcast? to a little NFL Films music. That would be a classy way to start the podcast, and indeed it is. Friday, September the 17th, on the eve of the Buckeyes playing Tulsa, the Golden Hurricane, in Ohio Stadium, 3.30 p.m. tomorrow. Can Ohio State bounce back from its loss to Oregon? If it doesn't, uh, we got a whole lot of things to talk about on the next edition of the We Tackle Life podcast because Tulsa is not very good. I know, you're saying, hey, Ohio State wasn't very good against Oregon. Really? They were better than... Not very good. They just weren't as good as you wanted them to be. Defensively, a lot of questions. Don't really think that they have traversed the week the way I expected. Ryan Day sounds a little upset. I know you should be upset when you give up all the rushing yards that Ohio State did and 35 points and not win the game. But that's kind of a private matter, usually. This is interesting, is it not? Ryan Day's only other losses at Ohio State have been final game of the year losses. And so you don't get to see how he processes a loss and comes back for the next game because when he lost to Clemson his first year, season over. When he lost to Alabama last year, nobody played after that national championship game. Now we see Ryan Day is a little territorial after that loss to Oregon. And again, it's not the end of the world. You lose to Oregon, they're the class of the Pac-12 They are a top, well, a 15 team when you played them, now top 10 team. So to put Kerry Combs in the crosshairs, to, I should say, join everyone putting Kerry Combs in the crosshairs, I'm frankly a little surprised. And it appears maybe this is Ryan Day allowing this perception to persist, which I don't see any purpose in that. Kerry Combs may have lost his calling of the defensive signals. It looks like, if you read in between the lines of what Ryan Day is saying and what he's not saying, that maybe Matt Barnes, the secondary coach, will call the plays. Uh, Secondary has not covered itself in glory, by the way. Uh, That used to be Kerry Combs' position to coach. Now he's the D.C. in his second tour at Ohio State. And I'll just reiterate what I said on Wednesday, and that is that all... Buckeye fans that I know were thrilled when they were able, to, were able to talk Kerry Combs back from the NFL to become Ohio State's defensive coordinator. So they're with you thick or thick at Ohio State because they're ready to bail on Combs and everybody, it seems, after Oregon got the W on Saturday. Obviously, Ohio State can't lose again or their realistic chances of making the playoff would be severely compromised. I'm not going to say they can't make it because... My thought has always been, if a two-loss team makes it, it'll either be the SEC champ or it'll be Ohio State. I just think that's the exception that the committee would make. You'd have to have a paucity, word of the day, kids, a paucity of candidates for the the playoff spots other than Ohio State. You're not going to get in over a 
comparable one-loss team, let's say a one-loss Oregon, you're not getting in as a two-loss team at their expense, a one-loss Clemson, and yes, Clemson already has a loss, you're not getting in over them if you're a two-loss team, but would you get in over a two-loss team from the Big 12 that was the next best available team after the top three went in? Yeah, you would. So I'm not going to say Ohio State can't get in. Sometime, I would assume, if they stick with a four-team playoff for the next five, ten years, somebody's going to get in as a two-loss team because it's going to be a crazy year where there are not enough unbeaten and once-beaten, well-respected teams to get in. Not going to be a Power 5 team or a a non-Power 5 team to have the credentials to get in according to what the system is set up as to tolerate a team from a smaller conference getting in. But it does put Ohio State in a position where nobody's ever done it before, and you don't really want to be in that position. So I get why people are worried about Ohio State now and saying that they're out of their margin for error. They have some games left that, in light of Oregon, you'd think, hmm, maybe that trip to Indiana is not the automatic W that we thought it was. Maybe Penn State at home is not. Maybe the trip to Michigan is not. Maybe Iowa or Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game is not. We'll see. Right now, I just want to see who calls the plays against Tulsa. Defensive plays, that is. Ryan Day's offense, no problem. Maybe he feels blameless. His offense, passing offense, put up 484 yards. They didn't run the ball. Uh, Offensive line play was not great. They got dominated at the line of scrimmage. Oregon averaged 7.1 yards per carry. Ohio State rushed for 128. They shortened the running back rotation. Everybody wanted them to do that. They did it, and their running production went down. You know I'm a Master Teague guy all the way. Uh, I like the young kid, Travion Henderson. Not really sure what I see that you're getting with Mayan Williams over uh, Master Teague. But, hey, the coaches see him in practice. I'm not saying they're picking the wrong guy. I just was surprised to see Teague jettisoned in the way that he was. So, Ohio State against Tulsa. A little bit of info on Tulsa to come. A little bit more on Ohio State and some of the defensive personnel. First, a reminder that Willis Spangler Starling is the official attorney firm of the We Tackle Life podcast. They should be your attorney, too, because I like you guys. You're listening to my podcast. I want you to be represented by the very best attorney that there is. And the very best attorney that there is is the attorney that I've hired for myself. Coincidentally, I do not want to hire an inferior attorney either. I don't want you to have one, and I certainly don't want one. So I go with Willis Spangler Starling. Online, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com, W-I-L-L-I-S. They're located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, specializing in wills, estate planning, probate, personal injury, and also social security, disability, and employment law. But lots of other cases cross their desk, and they can handle it. Willis Spangler Starling, what I love about them is that they look at their affinity for the law as their way to serve you. So when you get an attorney that really understands that if you're named in a legal action or if you are pressing an action to preserve your rights, that is your Super Bowl. It occupies all your time, all your thoughts. You obsess about it. You want somebody who puts the same emphasis on it that you do, and that is Willis Spangler Starling. Again, online, willisattorneys.com. So Ohio State's pass defense has not been good. Alabama eviscerated it. So did Minnesota. So did Oregon. Although Oregon, not as much because (laughs) you can't stop the run. Uh, You're not going to have to really worry about the pass that much. But Oregon was very effective throwing the ball short, sustaining drives, staying ahead of the chains. Tulsa, it appears, is not going to make you pay much for whatever yards it gains via the pass. Tulsa is one of 11 teams in the country that does not have a touchdown pass 
through its first two games. They're 0-2. They've lost to Montana. That's a Division I AA team. Sorry, football championship subdivision team. And they've lost to Oklahoma State. No disgrace losing to Oklahoma State. But they really weren't super competitive. That's Tulsa's big rivalry game. Oklahoma State doesn't think so, but it's Tulsa's big rivalry game. And so the Golden Hurricane, they have a decent running back. They lost two starting corners, and I believe they're starting quarterback last year to the transfer portal. So some years they're pretty good offensively. Some years they could give you a game for a half. I do not anticipate that this year. I expect Ohio State to come out and roll over them on the ground because they're just not a very good football team, and you want to get back to all those macho things you talk about when you lose a football game, toughness and establishing the line of scrimmage and dictating to the opponent and tip of the spear and all those other Ryan Day homilies. That's what you'll see from Ohio State on Saturday, 3.30 p.m. kick. Then will you know that their problems are solved? Hmm, I don't know. Certainly will look solved next week against Akron. Akron's lost, what, 15 to 16? Uh, Then you will play Rutgers, and then you will play Maryland. And so I would hope Ohio State will be 5-1, and eh, maybe back up into the top five because teams ahead of them are certainly going to lose at some point in time. Then we'll see. Middle of the year, Indiana, Penn State, on from there. They got to figure out their rotation in the secondary. They have to find a replacement for Josh Proctor, who Josh Proctor is a big loss compared to the lack of experience they have, proven experience behind Josh Proctor. But Josh Proctor, let's just not confuse Josh Proctor with Jordan Fuller, okay? Like, Josh Proctor is the guy who had a clean shot at Trevor Lawrence in the Fiesta Bowl, and Trevor Lawrence juked him and ran for a touchdown right before the end of the half, and that was a huge play in that game. So Proctor is a guy who likes to hit you, but not always the surest of tacklers. So I think sometimes he's going for the knockout. He'd be better off going for the jab and getting the guy on the ground. Ohio State took some bad angles last week after Proctor left. Bryson Shaw got exposed on the touchdown pass to the Oregon tight end. He took a bad angle on C.J. Verdell's run up the middle. So they're young. Young guys make mistakes. Typically, Ohio State doesn't play a super big number of young players. The more you play, the more susceptible they are to the kinds of mistakes young players make, and the more susceptible you are to losing to a veteran team like Oregon. So that is where I see Ohio State. I don't think the season is over. I don't think they're inept. I do think Kerry Combs has unjustifiably taken the bullet for what happened against Oregon. I think it is a shared responsibility of the entire defensive staff. Nobody's looking at Larry Johnson. Where's the pass rush? Where is the pass rush? It's non-existent. And that would fix a lot of their problems if the guys up front could start getting to the quarterback. We'll see if that happens on Saturday. If you would like to fix a lot of your problems in getting into your day with energy and go get them, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee is the way I would do it if I were you because Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee is phenomenal coffee with a phenomenal mission. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters hires growers in Indonesia, Nicaragua, Thailand, Ethiopia, other countries where they grow great coffee, but they don't just take any coffee. It has to meet the exacting standards of Paul, who is not only a great entrepreneur, but also a guy with a great heart. 
a missionary from years ago who married his love of coffee and his love of ministry into a super cool business where they buy the coffee direct from growers, bring that coffee to you, and then the growers in those underprivileged countries are able to do great things, planting churches, saving women from human trafficking, investing in their local economies, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee. You get a 15% discount as a We Tackle Life podcast listener when you use the promo code WE TACKLE LIFE in all caps. 15% off House Blend, Hunter's Blend, Java Blues, Jamaica Me Crazy, Breakfast Blend, you name it, many flavors, K Cups, Whole Bean, Light Medium Dark Roast, any way you want it. Free shipping on orders of $30 or more. Use the promo code WE TACKLE LIFE in all caps to get 15% off at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Com. All right, let's switch to other college football games of the weekend. What are the ones that I will have my eye on? Uh, Michigan is in the top 25 off its win over Washington. I don't know that that's really that impressive. Michigan State, to me, is more interesting. Man, I expect Michigan's going to be a four-loss team, a three- or a four-loss team. Michigan State, I would have thought, would have struggled to get to 500. They've been pretty dominant through two weeks. They have Miami on the road. That is a noon kick. So you got time to watch that before Ohio State. Miami has good talent. Uh, Miami was <laughs> no match at all for Alabama. If Michigan State goes into Hard Rock Stadium and knocks off Miami, then we might start have to thinking start thinking about Sparty as a team to watch because uh, Mel Tucker's done a nice job this year, and the Buckeyes will uh, play Michigan State. Uh, the week before Ohio State plays Michigan. Uh, so, of course, Sparty has to come into Ohio Stadium. It's not like that has uh, stopped them before. So uh, we don't ever talk about Michigan State. We talk about Indiana, Penn State, Michigan. Michigan State, if they win at Miami, that's a team that yeah may bear a little bit of watching. Elsewhere, mm, Purdue, maybe Purdue could win at Notre Dame. That's possible. Notre Dame's 12. They were not impressive last week against Toledo. The game that will kick off at the same time as Ohio State's that has some people thinking upset, Alabama at Florida? I'm not going to say no because it's an SEC road game and anything can happen in the SEC. And I'm not going to say no because everybody's been telling Bama about how great they are because they beat Miami. And, oh, okay, we'll see Bama in the national title game. Mm, got a little work to do before that happens. Uh, Florida, they played two quarterbacks, which I hate, but... Could something goofy happen there? Yeah, it could. So I would, I will have my eye on that one, and uh, we'll see what we see. But if Bama goes in there and just smokes Florida, then perhaps I'll start to believe that everybody is right. And think of this: they replaced Mac Jones, Nanji Harris, Devonte Smith, and their offense still looks like it is unstoppable. Oh, and their offensive coordinator too and play caller in Steve Sarkeesian. And still, they look like they just are a beer truck without brakes rolling downhill. Uh, could they lose at Texas A&M on October the 9th? Sure. Mississippi looks pretty good so far, but they have to go to Bama on October the 2nd. LSU, typically that's a game you mark on your calendar. Not anymore. Not anymore. Arkansas? I mean, Arkansas eviscerated Texas. Their rivalry game, they got to go to Auburn, final game of the regular season. But Bama, so far, man, Bama is really impressive. And I, I pump the brakes some because I'm just like, okay, you know, Miami, is that really the barometer now? You know, 
Back in the day, it was. Now, not so much. So that's a game that bears watching just because a lot of people think Bama will struggle. If you have a Jones for Oregon losing, well, you'll have to put that off a little bit because <laughs> they play Stony Brook at home. Oregon plays Stony Brook at home. So mm, not going to happen for the Ducks. They will stay undefeated and stay ahead of Ohio State in the poll at number four for at least another week. Not a great week of college football games. Those are the highlights. And, you know, did any of those float your boat? Not really. Not really. Georgia Tech's at Clemson. Clemson's number six. Clemson, Ohio State, right now, I'd say I would take Clemson in the playoff. I don't think right now I'd take Ohio State in the playoff. I'm I'm saying they won't. I'm just saying right now, uh, i got to see something. i got to see something more out of them on defense. Okay, let's switch to the NFL. Browns, 0-1 Browns, taking on the Houston Texans in Cleveland Stadium. The Browns are 0-1. The Texans are 1-0. Do not be fooled by the records. The Browns are dramatically better than the Houston Texans. And I would assume that this will be proven on Sunday with big games from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going against a dreadfully bad defense stopping the run. The Texans were last against the run last year. The Texans, if you thought, oh, cool, the Texans. Deshaun Watson, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and J.J. Watt. No, Deshaun Watson is not playing because of the sexual assault allegations against him. The Browns will get former Brown, Terod Taylor at quarterback. Yeah, I know he had a big game last week. Doesn't count. It was against Jacksonville. Sorry, Urban. And no DeAndre Hopkins. He's with the Cardinals. So is J.J. Watt. So the Houston Texans have Mark Ingram. Did you know that? You thought he was with the Saints. He's not. He's with the Texans. So this will be, I think, a rollover for the Cleveland Browns. It's Baker Mayfield's chance to look really, really good. And he needs to look really good because he is the one thing about the Browns that I am not sure about as they try to rebound from a loss at Kansas City that I didn't expect them to win. But when you're up 22-10, to 10, you got to win the game. And they didn't do it. And again, Baker Mayfield, like he did in the playoff game, had the ball, chance to win the game late, and he couldn't do it. So that is an inevitable situation that you will face as an NFL team at some point in a key game. You'll be down. You'll have the ball. Your quarterback has to get you in the end zone. And I need to see Baker Mayfield do that more than once, but enough that I'll believe he'll do it in a playoff game because you're just not going to route your way through the NFL playoffs. Okay, as for the Bengals, they're 1-0. They're in Chicago. Andy Dalton playing what could be, because anytime he plays, could be, his final start with the Chicago Bears. Everybody in Chicago wants the former Buckeye Justin Fields to get the job. Of course they do. He's a hope for the future. He's a top draft choice. And he's not Andy Dalton. Andy is a great guy, and Andy is a serviceable quarterback. But what was it my man Spiels used to say about Andy Dalton? He's good enough to keep you in it. He's good enough to keep both teams in the game. That's what he would say. He's good enough to keep both teams in the game. And that is exactly right. Joe Burrow, though, he did deliver for the Bengals last week at crunch time, getting them into position for a game-winning field goal in the final play of overtime with a gutsy checkout 
of a fourth and inches call at midfield with 31 seconds left to a perfectly thrown ball to C.J. Uzama. That is what your quarterback must do when you're the number one overall pick, which Joe Burrow was and which Baker Mayfield was. And so that's what I need to see out of Baker Mayfield. We'll see if Joe Mixon has another big day for the Cincinnati Bengals. He had 127 rushing against the Vikings last week in the Bengals win. The Rams, who crushed the Bears last week, the Rams provide the template for Joe Burrow to have a big game against that Bears defense because Matt Stafford threw for 321 yards and three touchdowns. Joe Burrow has Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins. You might not recognize Higgins this week because he swapped his jersey 85 for 5. He didn't want to wear Chad Ochocinco's number anymore. He says he doesn't want to be Chad Ochocinco 2.0. He wants to be Jamar Chase 1.0. So he's going to be wearing the number 5. Point is, the Bengals have one of the best young receiving tandems in, well, not tandem, trios, in the NFL and the quarterback to go with it. But, but, do they have the pass protection to withstand Khalil Mack and the Chicago Bears? That is my question. The Rams found a way to block Khalil Mack and the secondary couldn't cover. If the Bengals can find a way to block for Joe Burrow, and last week their tackles, they scored very, very well. If the Bengals can protect Joe Burrow, the Bengals are going to win a lot more football games than people think because I was pretty impressed. He said, ah, I know Kirk Cousins threw for a lot of yards. Hey, the Bengals made the plays defensively when they needed to make the plays. Jesse Bates forced a big fumble late in the game. I like Larry Joby in the middle of their line. The Cincinnati Bengals look to me to be an improved football team. That's all I'm saying, improved football team. So let's find out what the Bengals do on Sunday against the Chicago Bears. Maybe it'll be Justin Fields coming out party as quarterback, and after the game, Matt Nagy will say, yeah, he's our quarterback. But both, it's interesting, isn't it? The Browns and the Bengals drafted their quarterbacks of the present and what they hope is the future Number one overall, and both teams, Browns and Bengals, this week will be playing against the guy who took the snap as the starter for their respective teams prior to them drafting their quarterbacks of the future. That's Andy Dalton with the Bengals, who's now with the Bears, and Terod Taylor, who was with the Browns and yielded to Baker Mayfield famously because... Terod Taylor, don't leave the game with a gimpy left ankle on Monday Night Football, Terod, because Baker went in and he never left after that. And you and your man Hugh Jackson were soon (laughs) to be gonzo. So that is your football update. Uh, The Urban Meyer headlines continue to be unflattering. People continue to speculate about whether he will leave for USC. I don't know that he's going to do that in the middle of this season. He said no. The Jags are bad, man. Uh, is Urban equipped emotionally to go 2-15? and 15? Is he equipped to play 17 regular season games and win two? Because that's what it looks like he's in for with the Jacksonville Jags. And what? Maybe would he be excited about having the number one pick next year? Uh, he had it this past year. I don't think Urban wants to pick number one again. So we'll see. We'll see. But Browns against the Texans at home, Bengals against the Bears on the road, and Buckeyes against Tulsa, 3.30 p.m. Saturday. Before we get to the faith portion of the podcast, 
Let me shout out my friends at auiinfo.com. Business owners, you probably have used a health insurance broker to set you up with benefits packages for your employees. Here's my question. When do you hear from that broker? You say, well, once I get the benefit package. If that's the only time you hear from them, if they don't help you implement your benefits program, if they don't check back in with you to make sure you're still getting good value, if they don't stay in touch with you to see if there are issues that they can fix or problems that they can troubleshoot, then you are underachieving when it comes to the broker that you could have that would not cost you a dime because AUI gets paid by the companies that they present to you as options and that you select. They will never pressure you to pick a certain carrier. They will always give you the best information from a completely unbiased perspective. I know them. They are in business since 1974, so they are proven. They are a small family business themselves, so they understand your small family business. That is who you should be with, and their service is free. And this is the best thing you'll ever get free in your life because you'll have an ally in business to help you stay in business and to help you prosper in business. And that is auiinfo.com, auiinfo.com. Now to the faith portion of the podcast. So I had a cause today to reflect upon um, cultural issues and how we as Christians respond to them. I observed a colleague on Twitter be taken to task for presenting a strong, truthful defense of an issue currently in the news. This colleague was then criticized roundly with a very familiar uh, sling, an arrow, and that insult is, oh, I thought you were a Christian. You're supposed to love everyone. You're displaying a very unloving attitude. I get this response from people all the time because my pinned tweet is about the amazing deal we get as Christians where we trade our imperfection for Christ's perfection. And that he sees us as perfect. God sees us as perfect because not of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And that that is, and always will be, I certainly hope, unbelievably amazing to me. So that's my pin tweet. So whenever I criticize uh, anything or any one political position, cultural position, um, spiritual position, doctrine, anything. I will occasionally get back, oh, another uh, another Christian, another great Christian perspective, huh? For instance, for instance, this week, I posted a tweet about Carl Nassib, the former Brown who's, you know, now with the Las Vegas Raiders. And it is absurd to me that everything that Carl Nassib does now is publicized and glorified as if it's some grand accomplishment because Carl Nassib is the first openly gay player in the NFL. I don't care if Carl Nassib is gay, except that I feel bad that he is, in my opinion, living outside of God's plan for his life because a sovereign God would not 
make someone a way that would be counter to the way the Bible says we are supposed to live. But at any rate, I just posted the tweet, Carl Nassib's out with a foot injury, and I was mocking the fact that everything Carl Nassib does is breaking news as he, him doing it as the first openly gay player in the NFL. So I just tweeted, breaking news, Carl Nassib's the first openly gay player to be out with a foot injury. The point of that tweet is, hey, Carl Nassib was in the NFL before you knew he was gay when nothing that he did of the average ordinary variety was news. Nobody cared when Carl Nassib was a Brown that he was perhaps out with a foot injury or whatever, but now everybody, it has to be breaking news. Carl Nassib may be out with a foot injury. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, that's crazy. That's silly. Why does that happen? Well, it happens because there are people out there who have an agenda that they want to support. And so they've, they have enlisted Carl Nassib as their cause celeb. He's their, he's their, he's their spokesperson. Maybe an unwitting, unwilling spokesperson. I don't know. Maybe Carl Nassib likes having everything he does couched in the verbiage of first openly gay player to sack a quarterback, first openly gay player to recover a fumble. You know, I don't know. Maybe just my guess is maybe Carl Nassib just wants to be a football player. So I was pointing out with that tweet the absurdity of everything he does being news because he's doing it as the first openly gay player. And so I got the, oh, hateful Christian. You cannot be, you cannot be an effective voice for truth, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are afraid of being criticized for taking a strong, truthful position. Jesus does not promise and did not promise us a trouble-free, persecution-free life. In fact, he said many times, you will have trouble. He said another time, you are to rejoice when you are persecuted because of your association with me. Now, let me just say, that doesn't mean you should go out of your way to be a snarky moron and a combative person. And I'll even allow for the fact that probably my tweet on Nassib didn't need to be said. I know exactly why I did it. I thought about why I would do it, and I wanted to call attention to the fact that this attention paid to a cause is disingenuous because there are hundreds of football players who struggle with foot injuries during the year, and none of them get a headline because they're heterosexual. How dumb is that? Their injury and their sexual identity have nothing to do with each other. So to link them together to me is nonsensical. That's why I tweeted what I tweeted. But you can't be afraid to stand for truth and be an effective disciple. You know, Jesus said at another point, whoever denies me, him I will deny before my Father in heaven. So if, and I've, I've failed at this before, been in a conversation or, or around a conversation, and somebody will make a mocking remark about faith, a mocking remark about Jesus. You don't have to go, you know, full argumentative on him, but you can say, well, that's not my experience. I have found great peace uh, since I've given my life to Christ. I'm sorry that you don't feel that way. I'm sorry you don't have uh, 
I'm sorry you have not experienced the relationship that I have. For years, I struggled to find it. And since I have found it, uh, it's the most wonderful thing ever. I would certainly love to have you experience that. And if I could help you answer any questions for you or help you get over whatever uh, resistance or hangups you have, I'd be more than happy to do that. I have a hard time divorcing my combative nature on politics, sports, dinner. <laughs> uh, I have a hard time divorcing that and managing that in the light of spiritual conversations. I'm endeavoring to do that better, not for my sake, for the sake of the kingdom every single day. I want to not drive people away with the way that I testify to the amazing assurance that I have found in my life through Christ. I know I don't do it perfect. I am always in the mornings seeking how I can do it better, asking God to use me effectively in the platforms that I have. I am passionate about how empty life can be when you live it apart from Christ's authority in your life. I am passionate about saving people from a lazy descent into disobedience, and I am passionate about sparing people the approving lack of concern for their eternal destiny. What do I mean by that? I believe it is so much easier for people to be left alone in their error than it is to productively approach them and work with them to see how they are imperiling their eternal destiny with the way they are living. I do not want one person to perish because they didn't know the truth, hear the truth, or have me do everything I could to help them incorporate it into their life and for it to become the guiding principle of their life and the only motivation in their life. Everything else stems off first and foremost our devotion to God out of what he did by sending his son to die so we could be reconciled to him. That's a God that loves me more than I can fathom. I can't understand at all why he would want me after I made him wait for decades for me to come around to him. But praise the Lord, he does. And he wants everyone. He is The Bible says he is not willing that any, any should perish, no matter what you've done. Satan may tell you you're not worthy, disqualified. He is lying to you. He is the father of lies. And so hopefully my urgency for people to incorporate that into their life and make it the guiding principle of their life overrides any damage that I do in standing for that truth. But you are not loving people if you let them persist 
in their sin and in their error. You are not to condemn them and make them feel lesser and shame them and all that. That is not, not the role of a Christian. It is to always advertise. I always, and it's not to say where they're going to wind up because I'm just going to say, I always answer people, oh, well, is this, was this wild? Will I go to hell for this? I'm always like, I'm not in enforcement. I'm in marketing. I'm in marketing. I'm in marketing the transformative grace of Jesus Christ. So, um, but if you want to know where I, why I'm sometimes combative and some would say intractable, yeah, I'm not compromising on that at all because I've lived without Christ and I've lived with him and I don't want anybody to live without him from this point on. So that is a Friday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. I hope you uh, enjoy it. I hope you uh, enjoy your weekend. I hope you like the music. I hope you'll patronize the sponsors. And I hope you'll be back on Monday. Send me an email, wetacklelife at gmail.com. Review the podcast on iTunes. Have a great weekend.